Hi, it's Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. One of the best ways that you can do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. Before you get started with today's message, I wanted to let you know that it's now available wherever you buy your books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I wrote Poverty, Riches, and Wealth to help you move from the never-enough mentality into a true kingdom abundance from the inside out. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this message. I want to uh, talk about, this morning, I want to talk about the way that we think. The way we think. And, uh, you know, we often um, question what we see, but we seldom question how we see. We often question what we see, but we seldom question how we see. And how many understand that as prophetic people, it's kind of important that what we see is actually reality, <laughs> not virtual reality. Some years ago, I was in a conference with Lance Wallnow. Do you guys know who Lance is? He's got to be one of the smartest people in the world, him and Dano. And my, my favorite conference would be Dano, him, and Harold Everly. Lance Wallnow and Harold Everly. That would, be, that would be a fun conference. We'd only have to have one session. <laughs> then you'd need the like, detox for a couple weeks after that. <laughs> and, uh, um, but we, we were in a conference, and Lance, um, there was uh, these flags that it, we were in uh, Pennsylvania, and there was these flags that you could uh, actually get, they were in a barrel at the end of the, uh, at the, like right here on the stage, and you could grab them and you could worship with them. There was a lot more room, and people could weigh the flags, different color flags. And so uh, there were maybe 50 flags in the barrel, and so Lance grabbed the barrel, and he s- said to the congregation of about a thousand people, he said, I want you to count how many red flags there are. So then he cl- slowly turned the barrel, and we counted. And then he said, all right, close your eyes. And so we all closed our eyes, and he said, okay, how many gold flags are there? Well, you told us to count red flags. The, the thing is, is that you, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. So we all saw the gold flags, but we didn't, we weren't paying attention to the gold flags because we were, help me, looking for red flags. Have you ever thought that you're going to go buy a unique car and you buy it and then the next day everybody in in your city has one? Like, I'm going to get, I'm going to buy a yellow Volkswagen. I haven't seen one of those in years. And you buy a yellow Volkswagen and all of a sudden you saw seven of them that day. Like, wow, that was quick. Everybody got the same idea. But what I'm getting at is that how you view life is actually predetermined by your core values, by the lens you look through. You know, um, everybody speaks with an accent. You don't know you have one until you meet someone who has a different one. And then you're convinced they're the ones with the accent. Like, for instance, how many of you are from England? You're from England. You guys have screwed up the English language. <laughs> Thank God for the Americans. Like, we're the ones that... <laughs> Anybody ever been to Singapore? I went to Singapore for the first time, and, you know, they were, they, they, we were, I was interacting with some of the Singaporeans, and I'm like, what's your guys' first language? They're like, English. <laughs> I'm like, why do you put tones on the English language? What's your name? Ping! I'm Chris. <laughs> uh, they took the, 
Asian tones and added it to the English language and they call that English. That ain't English. What is that? Oh, it's another language? Hinglish? Singlish. Singlish. Sorry, I'm going to try to make fun of everyone so nobody feels out of place. Have you ever talked to anyone from Germany who speaks English? What's your name? Did you just sneeze or was that your name? What did you say your name is? How do you clean You don't really know you have an accent, right? Until you meet somebody with a different accent. Isn't it true though? And I, I went to Scotland. I have no idea what language they speak. I would take Singaporean any day. Like, they, I li literally need a translator. I have my, I, I had my friend with me and I'm like, can you, like, what did they just say? Like, William Wallace did not speak Scottish at all. I guarantee you that. Like, I could not even, when they were interacting, I had no idea what they were saying. And they call that English. It is not English. Well, I'd like to challenge you that not only do you speak with an accent, but you see with an accent. Like, you actually view the world through a lens that you don't know you're viewing the world through. So we question often what we see, but we seldom question how we see. And the challenge is, I used to wear glasses. I had my eyes lasered. You remember when you, how many of you wear glasses? What happens when you sneeze? You get boogers on your lens, right? Like if you don't know that the boogers are on your lens, you think everybody's got boogers on them. You're like, wow, the whole world's got boogers on them. It's like, no, there's something, sorry. It's too early for this? Okay. It's like you don't know that there's something skewing your view. Okay. Thank you, Chris, for all that. You feel better now. You know, um, I, I'm, I've become aware lately that I make up stories in my mind. Yeah. About people. About what people think about me. About two years ago, I texted uh, one of my team, one of my staff, um, who, who, uh, who I really love, and, and um, she didn't text me back. And a day went by, and I said, hey, how's it going? What's going on? She didn't text me back. So then a day, I had totally forgot about it, and about a day later, I noticed, oh, she didn't text me back. So I texted her again, like, hey, what's going on? You know, how, how, how's everybody doing? No text back. So another day goes by, and this girl is usually the text girl. So you text her, she texts you right back, and I'm like, oh, she's giving me the silent treatment. So I'm like, I hope you're well. <laughs> explanation, explanation, explanation point. She didn't text me back. So I started, I started thinking about what I could have done. And I thought about, like, Three months earlier, I had said something, and we had a little bit of a, you know, misunderstanding, and, and, I, and, I, and then I started arguing her case and my case, in my own head. I'm like, she thinks I did this, but I did not. I did this, 
And, I, and, I would, and I'd come over here and argue her case against me, then I'd come and argue my case, and I always was right in my mind. <laughs> Six days went by, she didn't text me. And so I'm like, hey, do we have any issues? I'm sorry for anything I said, even though you were wrong. <laughs> and no answer. So I called. Hey, what's going on? Left a message. She didn't answer. I'm like, wow, this is really, this is serious. You know, I've known her since she was 16, but she is really upset. And so I, I spent two nights up just thinking about what I could have done. And I should have said that differently. And by the, you know, like the seventh night, I was like, maybe I was wrong, you know? I mean, it's possible. <laughs> Day eight, I get a text. Hey, saw all your text messages. I was doing a retreat. We didn't have any internet out there. And uh, just want to tell you, I love you and miss you. Can't wait to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We're all good. <laughs> I really love you. And uh, yeah, you didn't do anything wrong to me. And I didn't do anything wrong to you. We're all good. And I began to realize that, that I, I make up stories about life that aren't true. I just make them up. The challenge is, is that, now let me read you this thing I wrote. I think it'll, it'll be a little clearer. Most of what we think is unknown to us. It's below the conscious level. The great mystery of the soul. It's a great mystery of the soul, but it manifests in attitude, actions, and passions, negative or positive. Although we don't always know what is happening in the, gar in the hidden garden of our unconscious soul, what's growing there is a manifestation of either our reactions to life or the proactive efforts we make to plant God seeds in our minds. In other words, do you know, like for instance, 90% of what's happening in your mind, you're completely unconscious of. How many know that your mind right now is actually running your whole organic system? It's controlling your heartbeat, your liver, your, your kidneys. I mean, your whole, right now, your, your, your entire organic system is actually the most, the thing that's keeping you alive, you are completely unaware of. Have you ever laid in bed at night and thought about your heartbeat? And all of a sudden you start thinking about your heartbeat? You're like, my heart's beating. I think it missed one. <laughs> whoa, whoa, I think I might have an irregular heartbeat. It's like, it was doing fine before you became conscious of it, right? Like your mind's all fine. And what I'm getting at is like, using it as an example, is that some of the most important things in life, the thing that's keeping you physically alive, you're completely unaware of. Like it's below the conscious level, right? And every once in a while, something from the deep pops up. For instance, your, your body is fighting off diseases and you know right the white blood cells right it's keeping you I don't know much about it so I'll probably not try not to venture way out into Dano land you know <laughs> when I try to act intelligent I can never pronounce those big those big words right so they're, they're like he didn't know what he's talking about is he no anachronistically speaking <laughs> I, I practice that word someday I'm gonna know what it means 
But your whole, but your body is, your body is actually fighting off bacteria and diseases, and you know, you know, you, there's a, there's a war going on bi- biologically in your body all the time, right? It's keeping you healthy, right? And if you lose your white blood cell count, you, you know, you get sick, right? And and you don't even know it. My point is, is that, my point is, is that you don't actually know that this entire thing that's keeping you whole and healthy and it's keeping your body you know, moving forward and you thinking, I mean, all of that is, is be, it's below the conscious level, right? And every once in a while, like let's say you sprain your ankle and all of a sudden you feel pain. You feel pain. What is that pain telling you? Pain is, it, your mind goes, hey, we're going to need some help with what we've been doing down here for you without talking to you. We're going to need some help. Because we're going to try to get that well, but we need you to be conscious that we need you to get off of it. Right? So all of a sudden, what's been happening below the conscious level pops up into my 10% and goes, hey, uh, we can't do this without your help. Um, there, there are lots of things that I, I, I would propose to you that your body is fighting off bacteria and disease and all that kind of stuff and just as I just shared like once in a while you hurt yourself and you feel pain and how many know pain's a good thing like the worst thing is is that you would hurt yourself and not feel pain how many know that's that's a real problem you can't feel your extremities how many know that that's a problem so like you want that to be there right you don't really want the pain but you you part of you being healthy is that you feel pain I, I'd like to suggest that your soul has the same issues. Like your soul, you know, there's, there are people cursing you or things going on around you. There's a, you know, how I many, you know, we don't live in an environmentally, you know, healthy culture. But your, your soul is always like making sure you're well. And every once in a while, something from that dimension pops up and it's called depression or fear or anxiety or some negative emotion. And I'd like to suggest to you that most of the time, those things are being taken care of, but once in a while, one pops up from the deep and goes, hey, we, we need your help here. The challenge uh, with, with life and with prophetic people is that so much of the way we think about life, so much of the way we view people and the world and God and each other is below the conscious level, but it's actually affecting the way we do life. And so, I want to talk a little bit about that, and then I want to talk through, like, how do we proactively make sure that the way we see is actually the way we are? (laughs) You know, um, I made a statement some years ago, and I I actually believe it more now than when I said it. I said, if I listen to you prophesy for 10 minutes over four different people, it will tell me much more about you than it will about them because you prophesy out of your core values, out of your lens. One of the challenges that we had in the early days, we don't have it so much now, is, um, for instance, um, if a woman's been raped and 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 she hasn't dealt with it, and I share this because it's sensitive, but it's very common. She begins to be afraid of men, and it's crazy how it affects her prophecies towards men. 
having pastored lots of prophetic people for Ben does now, but for the first 20 years from Weirville and then here, I noticed that my team, when I was with them a lot, I noticed that when this woman, who I know her history, ministers to men, there's a, there's a color, there's a twist to her prophetic ministry. And I realized that her lens is affecting her ministry. And so I, um, I want to talk a little bit about what's on your mind. Romans 12, let's turn there for a minute. I think, just stay there before, you, uh, before we read that. I'm going to just share a, a few things about core values. Um, so let's, let's skip that for just a second. We're going to get back there in five minutes. I just want to take us on a little bit different journey. Jesus said this, Luke 8, 18. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he, what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Be careful. Listen to this. Jesus said often other times, be careful what you listen to. But in Luke 8, 18, he said, be careful how you listen. Be careful. Be aware of how you're listening. Um, John 8, 31. I bet you guys, you guys could all quote this. Jesus said, if you continue my word, you'll truly be my disciples, and you'll know the truth, help me, and the truth will make you free. The word truth there is not the word logos or rhema. The word truth there is the word reality. Jesus is saying, you'll know reality, and that will make you free. Which means that often we live in a virtual reality, as I was sharing with you about the text message. I'm living in a virtual reality. I'm not living in reality. I'm living in a virtual reality. And what makes me free is when I actually understand what's real. Are you following me? There, I, I took uh, flying lessons I never finished because I couldn't be in a plane without vomiting. <laughs> the first three times, the trainer, pilot trainer said, um, sorry, I know, drink more, I get it. <laughs> Take note, PAs, not full, full glasses. <laughs> Um, the first two times I went up in a plane, my, my, the guy who was training me, the flight instructor, said, you know, you'll get over this. By the fifth time, he said, not everyone gets over this. <laughs> so I never actually got my pilot's license, but I took ground school. And um, what they teach you in ground school is very interesting. There's a thing, and I don't know if I can pronounce this word right. Um, it's called, I think it's called spiral disorientation. disorientation. I think it's called spiral disorientation. But I don't know if I got the word exactly uh, pronounced right, but let me tell you what it is. It's the feeling when, you, when, when you're in, a, especially in a small plane, when, you're, when you lose um, vision, like you, you can't see out, like you're flying through a storm, and it's the sensation that you're climbing and you're upside down. And so most small planes crash by the pilot feeling like he's upside down and climbing. And so what he does is he turns the plane, what he thinks is right side up and level, but what he actually just did is he turned the plane upside down and he's crashing towards the ground. And so, uh, and almost, I, I think I went for uh, 12 weeks, and I think this, 
lesson got repeated six of the seven of the 12 weeks. And they said, every plane, listen, even if you have a small plane that's not outfitted with lots of gauges, the three gauges that are, that are, um, that you have to have, there's two of each. So you have two altimeters, altimeters that tell you the altitude. One on your left, one on your right. They're the identical gauge. There's two of them. There's, there's two gauges that tell you if you're upside down or, or right side up. There's two of them. They're the identical gauges. So when you get in a plane, you're like, why do I have two of these? Because those essential, that essential information, you need to be able to trust it. So they want you to have two witnesses. Okay, that gauge says I'm upside down, and that gauge says I'm upside down, and therefore, two gauges can't be wrong, even though I feel like I'm, I don't know. That gauge and that gauge both say I'm right side up. Even though I feel like I'm upside down, two gauges can't be wrong. And the reason why they put essential gauges, why they duplicate them, is so that you will be convinced that your feelings are wrong. Which I guess this would be a great place to say, trust your gauges. This would be also a great place to say, you are not how you feel. And I gotta say one more thing, this is a little off color, but you are not who you feel. You are what God says about you. That's who you are. You are what God says about you. And so, and, uh, and I, let me just add to this, it's, again, it's, uh, I'm going somewhere else, but this is a great time to say, you need a couple of gauges in your life. <laughs> you need accountability. <laughs> you need a couple of people who are stable, who are typically right side up. <laughs> you, you, you know where I'm going, right? You need some right side up people that can go, yeah, you're upside down. You, you, you know, we tend to like, it's the misery loves company thing. We tend to want to hang out with people who are more broken than us. But how many know that's a poverty mentality? We need to hang out with people who are more stable than us, who are wiser than us, more gifted than us, and more experienced than us, so that when we go through the clouds and we can't see ahead, and, the prof and prophetic people are the worst, right? We're used to seeing. So when we can't see, you know, when most, when, most believers, when most believers can't see, I mean, they've been using a cane so long, it just feels normal. When we can't see, we're like, something's wrong. I can't see. I don't know my future. How long has that been? Four days. I've been four days without sight. And we just freak out, right? We're so used to hearing and seeing. We're like, whoa, there's got to be, the world's coming in. God hasn't spoken to me. We're, we're, used, to, we're used to having gauges, right? We can see, like... So I, I, I just want to say that how you feel isn't how you are. And how, and how you feel isn't who you are. You are not the temptations you resist. Feelings. Whoa. Feel. Feelings, emotions are great servants. They're terrible masters. Are you with me? I, I, I have great teaching on the soul. I really value the soul. But the soul was never made to, le to lead. The soul was made to follow. So when prophetic people get in a storm and they stop watching their gauges, bad things happen. Like I feel, and, I, and it's like those things are important, but watch your gauges. Make sure you're right side up. 
You know, Reef, in my, my example, I opened with, with texting my friend. I should have been reminding myself that we have a 25-year history. That she's always loved me, and I've always loved her. And if there was ever a conflict, she is a very direct person. She would definitely be the first one to be at my door. I needed to calm my, my, my virtual reality emotion and say, those things are lies. She probably is out of range. There's probably a reason why she didn't text me, but it isn't because of our relationship. I should have been reminding myself, my gauges said, you're, up, you're right side up and you're leveled. Don't worry about it. But I began to overthink it. How many have ever done that before? You begin to overthink it. Core values. Let me just read you a few things about core values. Core values are the lens that determine the way we see life. Are you with me? They are the interpreters of the events of my world. When something happens to me or to you or around you or around me, our core values dictate what to think about that. Am I making any sense? Our core values set the boundaries for our behavior. They tell us how to act in our ministry, friendships, family relationships, business dealings, and conflicts. Our core values are the referees of our relationships. Our core values are the prophets of our destiny. They dictate what we allow ourselves to desire. They decide what's important to accomplish in our lives. Our core values, are the, uh, our core values determine the way we see God. They interpret the way events in life relate to God. Our core values determine which circumstances in life we attribute to God. Our core values answer questions years before the questions even asked. They make choices for us before we even know what the outcome will be. L let me just give, it's, it's probably very obvious, but just a few examples. If, I, if I'm feeling like, if I view God as he's angry, and I'm driving to work and I get a flat tire. Oh wow, God's mad at me. He's disciplining me. And I began to read every negative circumstance into, into my relationship with God. When there's, listen, when 9-11 when happened and the Twin Towers fell, I don't know how many of you were in a prophetic community at the time, we were. I was stunned by how many people attributed that incident to God. God's punishing America for abortion or for homosexuality or whatever your favorite sin is. God's punishing America. He's mad at America. I remember David Wilkerson, and God love him. I, I love David Wilkerson, but he was wrong in this incident. And it was public, so I'm not saying anything. It wasn't public. I mean, the day after 9-11, on 9-12, he had this prophecy about God's anger and judgment against America. And he basically said, this is the first of many. And, you know, think about it. You had 3,000 people killed that day many other injured and they wake up to here's the church's response <laughs> i mean your your mom's in there your brother's in there your sister's in there firemen in there they're dying and you're like god killed you because you because you promote abortion oh that makes perfect sense god so values human life <laughs> 
And he's so mad that you're killing people with abortion that he killed 3,000 people to make his point. Does that make any sense to anyone at all? I mean, it's a little bit different when someone kills someone in a battle, in a war, to protect other people. We're like, okay, I can reconcile how God took the life of, you know, God authorized the of taking the life of one person to save thousands more. But I can't reconcile God's so mad about abortion in America that he's going to kill 3,000 people to make his point that we should value life. And how many know we're salt and light? Salt, we're preservation, and light, we're revelation. We tell people what to think about God. And we just told people, God's very angry with you. He's a mad dad. It's quiet in here. Is it just early? Okay. Or some of you have heard this all before, so. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. All the pastoral people are like, oh, he's hurting. He needs some words of affirmation. The other thing that core values do is core values determine the way we see the devil. Now there's a lot of cultures that have a little God and a big devil. They're always talking about the devil. Devil this, the devil that, the deviled eggs, deviled everything. Everything's deviled. <laughs> they get sick, they're like, the devil made me sick. You know, maybe he did, but I just don't want to give him that much credit. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 16, I'm going to just kind of go quickly through these verses. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And you remember the story, right? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet. He, they, they go through this list. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? Now, interesting, the Greek can read this way, but who am I to you? And Peter, famously, and I think Daniel brought this up, said, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And get this, and you are Peter. And upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, how many of you understand that Jesus is not just the Christ? He's the bread of life, the light of the world, he's salvation, he, he, right? I mean, John Paul Jackson had 365 names for God. How many know that God is not just the Christ? He's not just the Messiah. He's also the creator. He's also the deliverer. He's also love. He's also peace. He's also the great warrior. I, I, I'm simply saying that there was, there's hundreds of ways to view God. But when Peter said, you're the Christ, or the one anointed with power, Jesus said, and you are Peter, on whom I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter said, you're the powerful one, and he said, so are you. And my point is, is whoever Jesus is to you, he will be through you. So part of your core value is the way you view God. Because how you view God has everything to do with what you're supposed to be doing in the world. 
When people come and they say, I just don't know what I should be doing in the world. And I understand that there's deeper, you know, Dano has this great um, um, teaching on finding your purpose and destiny in your prophecies. I love it. But, but one of the easiest ways to at least get people on the right road is to say, describe God to me. Oh God, he's just, he just loves the broken. I don't know, it's just the loss. I just, when I just think about it, I just tear up. And uh, tell me more. Just the prisoners who come out of prison, he just like, he's the God that just meets them and restores them. You know what you just told me? You just told me what part of God is supposed to work through you. See, the challenge is we see God a certain way, and when our leader doesn't, we're like, something's wrong with him. Why doesn't he see? He's not touching the poor. He doesn't care about the poor. Da, 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 da. He doesn't have a heart for the poor because he has a heart for something else in the kingdom. <laughs> you have a heart for the poor because that's the part you're supposed to, you know where I'm going, right? I'm saying that your core values actually tell you what you're supposed to be doing in the kingdom. If we don't proactively develop our core values, then we will reactively develop our core values. When you leave today, I'm going to give you a core value test. I'm going to give it to you at the door, and I'm going to ask you to take it at lunch. And what this core value test, it's not the last word on your core values, but people are like, how do I tell what my core values are when they tend to be something I see through and not something I see? Well, you can ask yourself a lot of questions. And so I put together just a little core value test. And by the way, the test would be hundreds of pages long if it was, if it was actually revealing all your core values. The goal is for you to take the test and get an idea how to assess how you think. How you think. Are you with me? So the challenge is, is that if we don't proactively develop our core values, then we reactively develop them. In other words, I'll use the rape victim. I have a rape. I never think through. I mean, I, I'm just like, I just hope I don't get raped again. I mean, my life begins, becomes a reaction to something terrible that happened in my life. And then I begin to vet men through that lens and maybe vet certain things through that lens. And, and I spend my life, I don't even think about the fact that I've actually, the worst thing that happened to me probably wasn't the rape. The worst thing that happened to me is what happened to my lens for the rest of my life and so I take a bad incident, which was horrible, and then I make my life out of it. But so what happens when I, when I come to a good counselor at times is that the counselor helps me to separate the incident from my lens. Romans 12, let's go there now. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. L let me just say this. You can't change your life. Anyone ever tried? But you can change your mind. And if you change your mind, he'll change your life. You're like, how do I change my life? I want to be, I don't want to be conformed, I don't want to be transformed. You know that word transformed? You know when Jesus went up on the mountain of transfiguration? It's the same word. You want to be transfigured? You actually want to, you want your whole life to change? Yeah, you can't do that. How many have ever tried just to change a bad habit? 
Yeah, it's like you can't change your life, but you can change your thinking. And if you change your thinking, he will change your life. If, you, if you're in this teaching today and you're beginning to realize like, I actually, my lens has probably got boogers on it. <laughs> I've been through a lot of stuff and it's probably filtering through to my prophecies. You know, when I was a kid, some of you are old, old enough to remember this, we used to have straws that were chocolate or strawberry and you could drink milk out of a, uh, just white milk, out of a straw. Do you remember this? And you would get chocolate. And what I'm getting at is the straw is the flavoring the milk. Now, I used to say that prophecy should be completely God and none of you. I don't believe that anymore. Now, let me, before you all run out and try to get your money back, <laughs> let me be clear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you should get a word from the Lord, add some of your opinion in it, mix it all up, and give it as a prophetic word. I am not saying that. And we know 1 Thessalonians 5 says, um, don't despise prophetic utterances, examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. So we understand that, right? What I am saying is, is that you can't get you out of your word. And that God actually factored your personality, your experience, your temperament, he actually factored that in, so when he, gave a prophetic, when he gave you the word, he factored in the fact that when you process it through your straw and it comes out, it's going to come out exactly as he predetermined. Think about it like this. If we um, shoot a rocket to the moon, before we shoot the rocket to the moon, and of course on the way there, we predetermine there's going to be a certain wind, there's going to be a certain resistance here. We don't just like point it at the moon and shoot it. No, it's like the, right? the scientists are calculating the factors that they know are present. So they don't just shoot it straight at the moon because they know it's going to end up on, you know, in, on Jupiter somewhere. They shoot it at the moon. And they, let's just say the moon's here. <laughs> Silly illustration. The moon's here. And I know that there's wind. There's... You know, that's, it's all moving this direction. So I shoot the rocket this way so it'll end up at the moon. <laughs> right? I pre-calculate that I'm going to shoot the rocket past the moon, and I understand it doesn't work like this, but my simple illustration, to the left because the wind is going to cause it to come back to the moon. <laughs> I'm saying the Lord has factored in you, you, <laughs> all about you. Your experience, your personality, the way you see the world. He's factored all that in. So when, he's, when he says, Jeremiah should give this word. How many understand that Jeremiah's the crying prophet? <laughs> he's the weeping prophet. He's the compassionate prophet. And God goes, I need this prophet to give that word because he'll hit the moon perfectly. And he gives that prophet the word. He doesn't give it to Isaiah because he knows Isaiah is the, the guy who sees visions and dreams. And he's the guy who sees in the future about a wonderful future. But Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. And if we give it to Jeremiah, it'll get exactly where it's supposed to be. So God already factored you in. Are you with me? But something else, so I'm saying, so you are supposed to be part of the word in that, in that way. But when something is broken in you, 
How many of you understand that is not factored in? That is, I added me to God's opinion. But listen, when you know you're doing it, you can repent for it. Right? I, I, I've done it twice that I got caught in my life. First time was very embarrassing. I had to come before the elders in Weaverville. It was the first major word I gave somebody. And I, I had this opinion about what he should do. Really, it was a good opinion, but it just wasn't a God one. And my friend Charlie Harper said, after the night was over, he said, you know that word you gave Gary? I said, yeah. He goes, that wasn't God. You know, you and I had a conversation before Gary got here at home group. And I told you that this should happen, and you said that should happen, and you gave it as a prophecy. How many of you know that's actually called manipulation? <laughs> now, I can repent of that, of which I did. I went to the elders. Charlie came with me. We had this incident. Of course, they were very forgiving. I was with Bill, so it was all great. And I learned from it, right? But I'm saying I can repent because I actually purposely did something wrong. The challenge is when I'm seeing through a lens that I don't know that that's not real. And that, I can't, I, that I, I can't really, re, I can repent of that, but that's not the point. The point is there's something broken, and the way I see is not, it's not reality. Are you with me? I can build a whole prophetic culture around broken me. I've seen it. So has Dana. We've talked about it. We go to some of the same churches. We're like, that culture is based on that leader's problem with this. And the entire culture smells like it. So it's really important that you take care of this. This is really important. That you proactively go after truth. That you surround yourself with people who tell you the truth. That you spend time in here so you know the truth. Like, prophetic people should know the Bible better than teachers. Better than the fivefold teacher. You should know the Bible better than a fivefold teacher. You actually have more power to deceive people than a fivefold teacher. And if you don't know this book, you're prophesying. This is your anchor. This should, how many know God's bigger than the book? But the point is, this is the foundation for everything you think. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Uh, why don't you go there? It's a very short passage. Jesus was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given besides. Now think, okay, can, let's, can you look at it? I know it's very simple, and I know that the part of the problem with some scripture is we're too familiar, right? He was saying, take care what you listen to. Okay, that's simple. By your measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, he's talking about what? What's the subject? Help me. Listening. Listening. By your measure, it'll be measured to you, and more besides. Now, I'm not a tech guy. I'm learning. Bethany and Jordan, I have a good team around me that's like they're a lot more tech savvy than I am. And I actually think that my, my computer actually gets viruses from me. <laughs> <laughs> my poor tech team, I wear them out. I'm like, there's something wrong with my computer. The, the screen is all black and they go, boop. <laughs> Thank you. All the time. So we brought 
Uh, I, I like social networking a lot because I, I really feel like that if you want to influence the world, they're, they're, the people aren't going to church, so you've got to go to them. So I, I'm like, hey, um, and, and so we brought in this uh, twice. We brought in um, uh, people that were uh, experts on social networking. Like, how do you increase your reach? How do you touch more people? Because I, I, I'm really about, like, changing the way people think. And so um, this guy was uh, doing this. Uh, I don't even know if Bethany remembers this, but it was probably four or five years ago. This guy was doing this whole thing for us, and he was teaching us about Facebook algorithms. And I'm like, I didn't like what's that? I didn't even know what that was. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he was talking about that. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to do really simple language because I don't really know the right terms which might help everyone else who's as ignorant as I, but it really ticks off the tech people. He was talking about the fact that the internet actually remembers everything you do. Now, someone corrected me and said, it's not the internet, but you get the idea. That the internet remembers everything you do, and actually it begins to, it creates memory. Let me, I think I wrote it like this. Um, algorithm, algorithm, algorithm is... Um, Oh, crap, I didn't. Okay. Anyway, I had it down. It's here somewhere. But algorithm is the, the computer, your, 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 the internet is taking note of where you go and what you like. So the algorithms are like, oh, if you like fishing, it, pretty soon the internet, the, the brain of the internet, remembers that you, that you went on fishing sites and that, that you bought fishing stuff off of Amazon and that you connected with other people who like to fish. And after a little while, it picks up your pattern and it, begin, it begins to think for you. And did, did you notice that if you love fishing, that ads pop up for fishing stuff that you didn't ask for? <laughs> So you went on Amazon, you bought some fishing stuff, and then you, you interacted with Jason Valentin, who loves fishing, and then you did a post on fishing, and the, the, the internet remembers that you did all that, and then it goes, hey, you like fishing stuff? You'd probably like Joe's fishing boat. You might like Joe's reels. And it begins to give you things you didn't ask for. Right? Because you told it what your passions are. And he told, he told us that we could actually do target marketing and we could find people that love our stuff that we don't even know, but the, but the internet knows that they love prophecy. So they said, instead of sending, you know, a million people ads about your prophetic stuff or your prophetic conference or your prophetic whatever, why not just send the people who love fishing? It's a lot less expensive to just send it to people who love prophecy, <laughs> right? And so it's called target marketing, right? Because of the algorithms. Well, he's telling me this stuff, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I just understood the scripture for the first time. Take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more besides. I'm like, oh, if I listen to complaining... <laughs> See, there are algorithms in the spirit, in the spirit realm. If I listen to complaining, I intentionally listen to Ben complain. 
And Bethany complained. She goes, oh, I got this problem with Bill. I go, okay, well, come talk to me. Hey, Ben's got this problem with Daniel. Come talk to me. What I did is I began to create an algorithm in the spirit where that algorithm begins to think for me. Now, I didn't ask, I didn't, I didn't ask about Judy's complaint with Bill, but the algorithm sent her a message and said, Chris likes to hear complaining about Bill. Come tell him. Have you ever noticed that someone gets bitter with you and when they sit in your office, finally after six months of being bitter with you, they never say, I'm bitter with you. They tell you the other 30 people who are also bitter with you, who they refuse to give you their names. You ever notice that a, that a bitter person will come into your environment and that within three months, all the other bitter people have found them and they are new to your congregation? You know why? Because there are algorithms in the spirit. And those algorithms will give you more of what you didn't ask for. So how many understand that if you don't watch what you think, you are attracting what you shouldn't be thinking to you? That was a much better word than you. So a few things. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We need to find people who pour water on the fire of our fears and pour gasoline on the passions of our destiny. When you hang around with people, other people who are afraid, how many of you know we just become, we're just afraid all the time? If, you, if you're afraid, you're going to attract other fearful people. And it's going to validate that you have reasons to be afraid because 20 people can't all be wrong. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Some of you need to ditch your friends. I, I, I wanted to say it in an abrupt way. Some of you need to ditch your friends. Ditch my friends? I'm a friend for life. Some of your friends are killing you. I'm not saying you shouldn't love them. I'm just saying you shouldn't let them influence you. Some of the best ways to change your thinking is to change your friends. Hanging out with people who are healthy. You're like, Jesus loved everybody. Yes, but Jesus didn't think like them. Are you following me? The grass is not greener on the other side, folks. It's greener on the side you water. <laughs> if you water that crap, you're going to get crap. Or something like that. I don't know. I don't know if you can grow crap, but you... The question is, are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? I was laying in the bathtub, this is a, probably three years ago, and I, was just, I, I have a clawfoot bathtub, and on Saturdays, the Lord has really talked to me about the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, before, you know, thou shalt not kill. So it's like, maybe if you rest, you won't kill people. But anyway... <laughs> So I'm like, it's kind of important that we rest. It's actually a commandment. And actually God rested. So if he needs a rest, we probably need the rest, right? And so I'm laying in the bathtub. I have this clawfoot bathtub. I've actually had a clawfoot bathtub since I've been married. So uh, 42 years. Every house we get one. If we don't have one, we get one. And I like to, on Saturdays, I like to just chillax. Does anyone like to chillax? I like to get in my clawfoot bathtub and, and lay in there for like two hours. I read my Bible. I pray. I think. I just keep adding hot water with my foot. It's so like, turn on the hot water. Oh, that feels so good. Does anyone else ever do that? I'm sorry. I just like it, you know, and it's like, it's like, it's just like recharging, right? 
And one day I'm laying in the bathtub, but this isn't going to be heavy. So some, sometimes I build you up to a story. like, this is going to be so heavy. No, it ain't. But it's going to be profound. I'm laying in the bathtub, and the water's getting colder and colder. It's wintertime. It's getting colder and colder. And I think to myself, how cold will this get? Like, will it, will it get, will there be ice on it? And I'm just laying there thinking about, like, like, if I don't turn that back on, how cold will it get? And then I think to myself, it will get 70 degrees. Well, how do I know that? Because I set the thermostat for 70 before I got in the tub. And therefore, there's an ecosystem keeping 70 alive. Then I said to myself, what I cultivate dominates. See, 70 degrees isn't a dominant temperature. <laughs> right? 70 degrees is not a dominant temperature. It's not like, well, 70 degrees is the temperature that air, all the earth, I don't know, Dan will probably have some, some other equation about. <laughs> I'm simply saying it's 70 degrees because I cultivate it 70 degrees. If I would have set it at 80, it would have been 80 degrees. Uh, you're like, this is silly. I'm like, I understand, but it's not what I want that matters. It's what I will. I get what I cultivate. If I cultivate joy, if I'm a, th if I'm a thermostat and I set my joy to 100 degrees, how many know it's going to be 100 degrees? Not because joy is dominant, but because that's what I'm cultivating. I'd like to propose to you that healing is dominant. But if... It's the healing power from Jesus is dominant over sickness. Unless you don't believe. And then sickness is dominant. What do you mean? Jesus went to his hometown, couldn't heal anyone. Or very few people. Why? Not because he didn't have power, but because they didn't believe. They were cultivating unbelief. In your prophetic culture, what one of the things that Bill brings to our culture is a culture of testimony. Every week, we sit for two hours in staff meeting. We call it staff meeting. And we do business for five minutes. And for the other two part of the two hours, we share testimonies yeah. every week. Yeah. 350, 65 days, 52 weeks a year, we share testimonies for at least two hours. Every board meeting, what happens normally once a month, we spend the first half hour to an hour sharing testimonies before we do business. Why? Because we want to do business by faith. So we cultivate a culture of faith before we deal with million dollar problems. This is part of the culture. You're creating, remember we talked about the difference between having the prophetic ministry, having prophetic culture? Testimonies are part of your culture. Because if, how many know the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If God did it for someone else, he'll do it for you. The point is, is that part of the way we, we, we cultivate a prophetic culture, part of the way we deal with our core values, how we see God. How many know when somebody gets healed and they tell the testimony and, and, I, and they go, I was sick with cancer, I had four stage cancer and, 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 I, and, and Jesus touched me and I got healed. It, it clears my lens. It's like the windshield wipers. And the next time I see somebody with cancer, I don't think, oh crap, they're going to die. I go, oh, Johnny got healed from cancer. Yeah. And I factor that in to the way I see cancer. Yeah. Cancer's not bigger than God. How do I know that? 
because last week I heard about Johnny's testimony. Johnny had four-stage cancer, and Johnny got healed. And the boogers began to come off my lens because I keep the wipers on all the time. And those wipers are, some of those wipers are great testimonies. Some of those wipers are hanging out around with the right people who are positive people who believe. And when I drive through, it's a metaphor. When I drive through the bugs of broken people, bitter people, hateful people, unbelieving people, I keep my wipers on. Here come the bugs. I don't leave them on my windshield because I don't freaking hang out with those people. I love on them. I help them. I spend time with them for prayer. But I keep my windshield wipers on when I'm with them. If they come over to my house, I'm like, keep the windshield on high. <laughs> got to keep the bugs off of me. Right? We got to, I'm saying to you, listen, are you hearing me? As a father, you got to proactively develop the culture around you. Some of you are too merciful. Like, you just got to be a little Chris Fallotton. You got to be like, that person shouldn't be in my life. And by the way, the devil will send you people. I figured this out. I am not the savior of the world. Say this, I am not the savior of the world. Here's the second one. There's always enough time for everything Jesus gave me to do. You ever have one person that takes 80% of your time? I mean, you can't even keep the winter wipers on. You're like, <laughs> you just see the call. You, you know, you say, some of you merciful people would never say it this way. You're like, oh crap. I can't stand that person, but I'm supposed to love him. You know, it's just like... <laughs> you have all thought that. Now you for sure think that. You're like, oh, Chris just gave me a bad core value. I'm simply saying, proactively develop your culture around you. It's okay to say no to people. It's okay to say, I'm not going to pray for you. It's okay to say, I'm not going to give you a prophetic word. It's okay. I control this. No one else does. I control this. I control my calendar. It's okay to say, my soul, I have enough time, but I don't have enough soul. Sometimes we run out of soul. Have you ever run out of soul before and there's 50 people in line and your soul's done, but you have more time? They're like, it's only 10 o'clock. I don't give a rip what time it is. My soul is out of strength. Virtue has left me and I have been nearly carried out of here many times when I have not not listen to my soul going, we are exhausted. We are, we are on fumes. We are pushing the car now. We have, the engine has stopped and the people are pushing the car, trying to make the car go. And all they're listening to is the radio. You are out of strength. Be quiet. Go home. Let them figure it out. But they stood in line for an hour. I don't know. I didn't tell them to stand in line. Let them pray for one another. I'm just saying there are, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be real like there are times it's just like stop stop the ministry and I find that sometimes my core values get messed up because I'm bitter with the 50 people in line and they don't even want to get prayer for me if they knew what virtue was flowing out of me <laughs> it ain't chocolate or strawberry I'll tell you that but it's sometimes the same color <laughs> you're laughing because you all have been there and I've just been doing this long enough where I go, oh no, probably some of you have come up this week, especially in the evenings, you know, exhausted. We've worked 12 hours and we've prepared for an hour and a half to two before we get here. I'm exhausted. If someone says, can you pray for me? If I don't want to, I just say, no. <laughs> oh, he's so mean. I, you know what? I have given up trying to please people. It's just, it's just not worth it. I just be me. I love people. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love people. I love people, but I don't always like them. 
I, I, I actually like people too. It's my issue, right? I like most people. I like most of you. Most of you I like. Can you listen to my prophecy? No. Can you interpret my dream? No. Well, you're the prophet. I'm not God. I'm not even a woman. I can't multitask. What's wrong with these people, man? Women are the worst. Like, you could do that while you're doing that and signing a book and talking to me and having these like, no, no, I have to stop and do one thing. I know, sometimes I pray to be bipolar. At least I can like do two things at once. And... <laughs> One of the most important things in your core value list is who does God say you are? Because Jesus said, who do you say I am? But who do you think God says you are? This is an adult audience, so I'll say this. My stepfather, my first stepfather called me stupid ass. He wouldn't call me Chris. Stupid ass, come here. Oh, he thought he was being funny. But consequently, when I graduated from high school, I read on the third grade level. My grandfather, who really loved me, said this. Chris, Chris is good with his hands. Now, my grandfather meant it as a positive, but I read it through my father's stupid ass. I thought my grandfather was saying, he's not very bright, but he's good with wood. Consequently, I took wood shop, auto shop, metal shop. I mean, I, and, and I always did great with those. You know why? Because that's the name I had on me. I am good at this. The people I valued said, he's good with his hands. But he's kind of stupid. But he can fix anything. And those names stayed with me way into my Christian years. But you understand when people stop saying them, but they've already become your lens, you don't know you're seeing through that. So I had a terrible learning disability. It wasn't mental or physical. It was a name. I had become the name my stepfather called me, but the problem is, here's the problem, I couldn't actually get rid of it because I didn't know I had it. Until Jesus talked to me one day, and he said, you are not a stupid ass. You have a brilliant mind. I'll tell you how it happened. Somebody came up to me, this is the, I'm sorry, I'm really bad with time. It was the first or second year I, I was at Bethel. And they came up to me and said, I have a word for you. It's not actually a prophecy, it's an observation. I said, whoa, okay. They said, you have a brilliant mind. And then they said, and I was talking to the Lord about it, and the Lord said, you have a brilliant mind. I had never thought of myself as intelligent until that day. And you know how these things happen. It's like the algorithms of the spirit, right? You believe that, and what happens? You start attracting more people that come and tell you that. So over the next couple years, I must have had, I, don't, I, 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 I hope I'm not exaggerating, 10 to 20 people come up and tell me, you have a brilliant mind. I, I believed that, and I created the algorithm, like, oh, he wants more of that. And I started, it started to shift me, like, and, and the Lord would call me brilliant. Like, in my private time, he would call me brilliant. And you, you know, you need that, right? So my daddy called, my, my earthly daddy called me stupid ass, but my heavenly father called me brilliant. 
it unlocked something in me and I began to be able to learn again. One of the things we want to do tomorrow is we want to commission you into the name God gave you. We've never done it before here. We want, to, we, want to, we want to knight you, but we want to knight you into your name, into what God says about you. We want what God says about you to be the lens that you view life through. So what we're going to have you do over today, the rest of today and tonight when you go home, is we're going to begin to have you interact with God. Maybe he calls you beautiful. He might call you a name, princess, or or he might just call you Mary. Or he might, I'm saying he might give you just a name that's different than your name. Or he might call you by an attribute. Champion. Fearless. Sword bearer. Justice. But it, it would be so important for you to know, what does daddy call me? I find that daddy calls me different things in different seasons. Like, I haven't heard the word brilliant in a while, but for about probably 10 years, I would hear brilliant. Wow. I'm like, I feel like the Lord was giving me a new name, but then I find out that I, I have more than one new name. Like, the Lord gives me names, and he typically names me for a season. You are hope. I've been hearing lately, you are hope. I call you hope. I'm like, oh, I'm, bring, I'm bringing hope. Everywhere I go, like it's not just what I do, it's who I am. I'm, I'm the hope bringer. I'm the Barnabas in the room. And it kind of helps to, it actually helps to mold my role. I'm like, okay, I come in and I'm not the, maybe the leader, I'm not the Paul, but I'm the Barnabas. I, 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 at times I've been the Paul. You, it's an illustration, right? So at times I've been the Paul, but right now the Lord's saying, you're the Barnabas. I'm like, okay, I know that role. I, I don't have to have the great idea. I just encourage the guy who does. I don't have to be the guy who does it. I just encourage the guy who's doing it. And I'm the Barnabas, and I create a Barnabas environment. And I create an environment where I say, isn't this person amazing? And other people get around, and they begin to think about that person as amazing. Because I have a lot of favor and influence. So when I say Emery is new in our, in our environment, say hi, Emery. Stand up, Emery. This is Emery. She's been in our environment less than a month. She doesn't live here. But when I met Emery, Kathy and I met Emery. We had lunch with Emery. We never do that. Never meet with strangers. Very seldom unless somebody actually asks us to. We're, we're really busy. It was our day off. But I felt I was supposed to. Then we had, we had, I think, lunch. And then we had dinner with her. And then we had breakfast the next day. Or the, the day later. Then I introduced her to my team. And I'm like, I took the favor that's on, 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 on the favor she has with me. And I extend it to other people. I say, Emery's amazing. What am I doing? I'm taking my Barnabas spirit and I'm putting it on other people and putting it like, oh, they, they love Emory too. Yeah. Why? Because I took the favor that's on me, I extended it to Emory, and I told my friends, you, you would like Emory if you met her. This is what we do, right? We see something in someone and we tell others. You would like, or we, we tell others like, you'd like them because they're, they're really smart. Like, and you connect this person to that person. It's part of what our prophetic thing. That person needs to be with that person. And we begin to connect them together, right? It's part of our prophetic call, right? So I want to charge you with a little homework. That tonight, by tomorrow morning, let's say it this way, so you, you'll have time to think through it. I'd like you to get alone with the Lord. And just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you call me? What do you call me? Do you have a name for me? And maybe he just says, I call you Chris, I... 
I call you Bethany. And I'm like, okay, the name that I got from my parents was actually a name from God. But I'd propose to you that you probably like me, you probably have more than one name. And I'd love for you to take that name and then tomorrow we're going to put your name on a tag, a big tag so we can read it. And we're going to knight you into that name. I think you're going to have a powerful experience. How many will do that? Awesome. Hey, how many of you, the Lord gave you a name? Uh, like, in the, I mean, yeah, he gave you a different name. How many he gave you a name? That you, oh, that's beautiful. So you, it might be good to seek the Lord even though you have a name because you might find an, another dimension to who you are here. That's beautiful. Um, okay. Thank you. I, I, uh, before we, the session's over, we're going to give you the core value test as you leave. So if I, well, don't, don't leave yet. I, I have five more minutes with you. Is that okay? Um, so at, when you're going, go out those two doors because we'll have ushers there. You'll get the core value test. You'll get to take it at lunch. It'll, it'll be kind of fun. Um, don't take it too seriously. <laughs> oh, I flunked the core value test. You can't, can't flunk the core value test, okay? Um, I, I, okay, I'm changing gears. What I'm about to say now has nothing to do with what I just said. I want to invite you into something. I felt like I was supposed to. I, I, I've never, ever, ever done this in a conference ever before in a, school, in a school of prophets. I went back and asked Daniel about it. He's like, I feel God all over it. Um, we've, been, we had a, we've had this prophetic word over our city uh, 18 years ago. It started. And actually, uh, this, uh, a prophet gave this word to Bill. And it, Bill had already had this experience that God was looking for one city that would be entirely his that he could actually demonstrate to the world what it's like for the kingdom, not Christianity, for the kingdom to be superimposed over a city for the benefit of its people, be it Christian or non-Christian. Yeah. Bill had that word. He, he shared it with me. And then we were in a prayer meeting in Vacaville, actually. I think it was at your church. I think this is before, the year before we met, actually. And this prophetess came up to Bill during the prayer meeting that we were in. It's like, I don't know, 100 people or so. I think Graham Cook might have been even leading it. He was definitely there. And this lady came, came up to Bill. And I was standing off the side and she said, Bill, the Lord said he's looking for one city. One city that he could actually influence. And that when that city came under the influence of the kingdom, that thousands of more cities it would be like a breakthrough, and she used the word domino effect, that it would be a domino effect that cities would begin to fall under the power of God. Bill's, sorry, Bill's carried that word for years. He shared it over and over and over with us. And since then, of course, you can imagine that there's been prophetic words around it and what it could look like. And so uh, 15, uh, 15 years ago, we, um, we started tithing to our city. So we give, uh, by the way, let me just clarify we give 10% of our, our income away, so we took a tithe of that, and we started tithing to our city. It's not a ton of money for a mega church. It's probably 90,000 a year, 100,000 a year, so it's not millions. And, 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 we, and we just like, what can we do to help our city? About, um, I think this is our fifth year, uh, five years ago, I think it was, we got this, six years ago, we got this prophetic word about the civic auditorium. It's the only auditorium we have in our city. That we were going to run a civic auditorium. Actually, one of our city, uh, I'm sorry, one of our board members, her name's Julie Winter, 
who's now a city council member, she had a dream. And she came to the board and she said, I had this dream that we, we actually ran the Civic Auditorium. And then a man in, um, in uh, his name's Nino, from Australia, had a dream a month later. And in the dream, he said, hey, I had this dream. And in this dream, you guys were given a building. It was all concrete and it was shaped like a chimney. Well, there's only one building in our town that's all concrete shaped like a chimney. I immediately knew that it related to Julie's dream. So we went to the city uh, manager who's, who became a friend of ours from 15 years of, uh, at that time, 10 years of, of tithing to them. And by the way, we just gave it to them and said, spend it wherever you feel like you should. Lay the money at the apostles' feet. So God said, restore trust, restore honor, and be generous. So we did that. So we went to the city manager, a friend of ours by then, and said, hey, you know, we'd love to take over the Civic. If it's possible, we would keep it open as a public event center. We'd run it as a secular event center, and we'd put our students in there. And he said, Mom, we're not interested in doing that. We said, okay. Well, a year later, the front page of the newspaper carried a story, um, city council closes Civic Auditorium. We're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. This is our opportunity. <laughs> How many know it's time to shine? in dark times. So we, we went back to the city manager and we said, hey, you remember we had this plan? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, I didn't, actually didn't remember that. But what would you, what it would be like if we leased the civic auditorium? We said, buy. He said, we're not going to sell it. So how about if we lease it? So anyway, this is a very long story. It's actually a very beautiful story. Um, we put together a plan. Uh, the city council had to approve it. And there began a movement against us called the Save the Civic Movement. Save the Civic meant save the Civic from the crazy Christians. So we had to, and it was, it was a big deal. And so we had to go to the city council to actually get permission to rent the building. Now let me tell you a, a little bit about, are you bored? You're going to be a few minutes late for lunch, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, the Civic Auditorium lost $1.8 million a year after $800,000 tax money. So it actually, figure that out, 1.8, so it lost $2.6 million a year. It took cost to run it. So we said, listen, we'll pay you $25,000 a month rent. We'll take none of the tax money. We'll put a million dollars in remodeling it. And we will start a non-profit, non-religious public benefit corporation. And we will put the shows in there that you want in the evenings and on the weekends. And we'll put our school in there in the mornings. So we went to city council. There was... Um, the place was packed. We asked our people not come because we didn't want to manipulate the system. We know we could get a thousand people there in a minute. And so the place was packed with everyone against us. They had cheerleaders out front cheering against us. Save the city. Save the civic. Against the crazy Christians, right? With pom-poms. I'm not kidding you. 33 people each had three minutes apiece to testify against us. And we were last. And we finally got our, two and a half hours later, we got our, they gave us 15 minutes. We shared our plan with the PowerPoint. We said, this is our plan. This is what we'll do. And the city council looked at everyone that was in the meeting, all against us, and said, we've heard 33 people with a complaint and no one with a plan except for these folks. So they voted for us to have a civic. And then um, they said, and then a year later, they said, this is the best the Civic's been run in 43 years. We put a million dollars in it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's not without, it's, you know, like we're learning, like we're trying, like we're serving secular people, right? So they have, we rent it out for like Halloween parties, right? I think it was two years ago, we had a Halloween party there. 
And when we didn't have the Halloween party, you understand, all we do is take care of the, we just rent the building. You understand that, right? It wasn't our Halloween party. But we did, what we didn't know is that they were all naked and they only came with paint. Yeah, and we had our students there like ushering. It was really not good. So we were having to learn like, oh, maybe we need the vet who, who has Halloween party there. But anyway, uh, now fast forward. Three months ago, um, we, have, we, we have a real crime problem in our, in our city. And you know what they've done, the prison system in California was over full. So what they did is they took several uh, federal offenses and made them misdemeanors and let thousands of prisoners out into, into cities without increasing the work for the, the police force. So it's been really tough and our crime is rising. And we got a grant, Reading got a grant for, to put four police officers in place who would actually be prevent crime. So we have 92 officers, four of them prevent crime. The rest of them fight crime. So what happened is that grant lasted two years and when we reapplied, Reading reapplied, we didn't get the grant. So the morning paper uh, three months ago um, on a, on a uh, Monday morning read, uh, Reading police officers terminated. And four of them are the only four that we have that are actually preventing crime. In fact, I have a couple of statistics. See if I can find them while I'm still talking. Um, yeah, just those officers alone have made in, in two years. Oh, goodness. I can't tell you. Oh, there it is. Okay. They've made 900 arrests, seized 31 firearms, performed numerous stings. I mean, they are the only reason why our crime isn't going like this. And it's still going like this. And so um, that morning, Kathy read me the article and I said, oh, this is crazy. We can't let this happen. We're, we're here to transform the world. We we're, have to transform our culture. So I, I text Bill and Eric and I said, I, I sent them the article and I, I said, I think we're supposed to do something about this. I think we're supposed to give a half a million dollars to help save these officers' jobs. It's 1.2 million for, for them for two years. I said, Let's get, why don't we give a half a million dollars? And Bill wrote back, Within seconds, which is not, Bill's not a texter guy, a lot. And he texted me right back and said, God's on this. Let's take it from our building fund and give it to the city. Because how many know you can't build a brand new building on the back of a broken city? So we gave 500,000. Eric was, immediately said, I'm in. And we came to our SLT meeting that week and they said, let's do it. We have, some, we have $10 million in the bank to build a $100 million building. But let's take 500,000 and give it to our city. So we did that, and then we said, I said, I think we should be responsible to raise the other 700,000, or 800, or whatever it was. And they said, okay, let's do it. So we went to the city council. We had to get permission to give the money away. I said, this is the hardest time I've ever had giving away half a million dollars. <laughs> and so we gave them $500,000, and we took on the task of raising the rest of the money. I felt like I was supposed to give you an opportunity. We started a 707 club. We need 707 people to give $1,000. And it will cover our police for the next two years while we build a plan for the next 10 years. And so I, I, I felt like, it's funny, it's two, two days ago, we have never, ever done, we've never taken an offering in this, for anything, have we, in school profits, ever. You paid a lot of money to come here. If in any way you feel, in any way, like there's pressure to give, there isn't. No pressure at all to give. But if you feel like you'd like to join us, I just felt like, you know, the, the vision, like one city? Yeah. 
We need help. And so Kathy and I, we, you know, we gave a thousand. We're probably going to give more. We've actually given quite a bit more of that already at the safety. But we became one of them. Dano, this morning, um, told me, he said, I, I, want to, I want to be in that. I'll, I'll be a part of that. And I just thought that maybe we might find 30 or 40 people that want to be a part of that. And what we want to do is we want to... We want you to, to give, but we also want to take your name because we want to put in the paper, these are the people who are for Reading. Now, it isn't to brag about you. It's, to, it's for other people to go, oh, I, oh, that guy, I believe in. Oh, I trust with it. It's that favor thing. They're like, oh, if she's in, I'm in. If he's in, I'm in. Does that make sense? So um, we're going to uh, do two things. And, and, and by the way, so... Did everyone hear me? If you're not supposed to give, please just don't give. Okay? Don't get mad about it. Just don't do it. I mean, I don't want you to feel manipulated because I honestly feel like if you're supposed to give, you'll, you'll give. There, there's a couple things that we want you... We're going to put up the text to give. Can you put up text to give? You can text to give right there. And uh, on the text to give, are they putting readingpublicsafety.com? Oh, Bethel City. Okay. So if you want a text to give, you can do that. Now, before you do any of that, if you want to be in the 707 club, which is 707 people give $1,000, then we want to actually, we want you to go back to the table back there. You can give by credit card or by check, whatever, back there. And we want to be able to just like get your name because we want to actually put it in the paper to encourage other people to give. So you can give, if, you, if you're going to give, you know, less than $1,000, then that's awesome. We're so welcome. You can text to give there. Are we going to pass a bag to? And we're going to have bags to pass. And then, then when the ser- service is over, you can go to the back and sign up for right at the back table right there. Corey's back there. If you have more information, Corey's actually leading that. Uh, he's the one who, le- he's, by the way, hey, Corey, raise your hand. That's Corey. Corey leads our civic auditorium. Just bless him in Jesus' name. But how many know prophets are supposed to transform cities? And I'm like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great for it's not just about prophecy, it's actually about believing the prophecies that have been, that you, that you get to sow into. So um, can we just have a moment, just everyone just bow your head for a minute and just pray. God, am I supposed to do something? Just, God, am I supposed to do something? And I totally trust your relationship with God. And if it's, if it's no, then it, that's great. It's no, no problem at all. If it's yes, God, am I supposed to be in the 707 club? Or am I supposed to give text to give or just give something smaller if you'd like to give by credit card there's an envelope or you can text in right here you just text in city the word city um, if you if you want to if you want to give thousand dollars even if you want to give by credit card a thousand dollars go back to the table so we can actually get your name we really we really want to have your name it's really going to make a big difference we're, we're going to create momentum the people are going to see oh 500 people gave. I want to give too. So thank you very much. Uh, God bless you. You're released for lunch. And oh, Ben, do you need to say anything? God bless you. Thank you so very much. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience all of God's goodness in every area of your life. I want you to know God's abundance from the inside out. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. It's just released and now available for purchase wherever you buy your books. 
Check it out if you're tired of living with the never enough mindset and want to move into experiencing the wealth of heaven regardless of your circumstances. Don't forget to let me know what you think. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a blessed day.